welcome. We are so glad you're here. I'm Jackie Simmons. I'm your host. And up on this segment is someone I am so grateful to be able to introduce you to. You know, in a world where people talk about hoods and they talk about neighborhoods in ways that we didn't talk about neighborhoods back in the day. You know, it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That was what we were taught growing up. And now we talk about neighborhoods and especially this one in ways that are dark. And the neighborhood that we're gonna be talking to, talking about is the neighborhood known as victimhood. So we have a guide. We have a guide who's gonna help us lift ourselves from victimhood at any age. So please help me welcome to the studio, Angela Lee. Angela! There you Hello. are. Hello, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it is so cool to see you here. Oh, it's so good to be here. And I, I just love what you're doing, what your panelists are doing, everybody coming into a community to try and change this, just this terrible direction that has been happening. And so thank you. Yeah, well, you're very, very welcome. And we'll get really clear. Okay, is it all right if I take a minute and share a statistic or two? Oh, yes. Why we do this. In August 2019, in the United States of America, every 24 hours, over 3,000 teenagers attempted to take their own lives. That was 2019. Last August, the Center for Disease Control, August 2020, the Center for Disease Control released statistics that 25% of North American young adults were struggling with suicidal thoughts. And this is double what it had been just two years earlier. We've been in the COVID compression for another eight months since then. It's not getting any better. And it's not that it's not getting any better out there. It's, it's not getting any better in here as we continue to stay with the pressure of a world that we don't have the rule book for anymore. So that's why we do what we do is because we need help now more than we did. Yeah, there's more pressure. We need more help. So today, Angela, that is why I am so excited that you were able to join us today and to bring your very special brand of help to help people Da -da 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 -da, to help people get to know you. Uh-huh. What's the one thing you would want people to know about you? Mm, the one thing I would want people to know is that I've been through a lot and I was able to shift my perceptions and shift my ideation. And if I can do it, you can too. That I am nobody special. Now you're going to have to take us on the, on the journey to um, first, give us a definition. What does ideation mean? Well, to me, it, it's the idea of that when we're talking about suicidal ideation, it's the idea occurs to you that 
you will be rid of the pain if you just leave this world. Okay, so it's a solution. Yeah, and frequently it, that solution, which isn't really a solution, but that, that idea comes to us at a time when we, we're in despair and we feel we have no options. And I know this because I was there and it, it's really interesting. I had buried the time um, where I was in suicidal ideation and being involved in, you know, just thinking about this talk, this has come up in the last week. Yeah. And I, I'm going to tell the story because I think it might resonate with some people. Um, I was, this was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, an adult woman from the appearances, happy, in a successful job, in a long-term marriage, um, driving a late model car. But the thing is, I was driving that car sobbing in despair because of what I perceived as um, emotional abuse on from my husband. And I could not, I felt like I was in a place with no choices because to me, divorce was not an option. I could not hurt him that much by leaving him. And what I was doing was putting his needs before mine, which we'll talk about a little bit later. This day I was driving and I, I drove over a bridge and I'm on the right lane and I look to the side and I see a concrete railing. And that's the moment that the idea came to me. If I just jerk my wheel to the right, I won't feel the pain anymore. And I was in so much despair that ideation seemed like the only option. Well, it certainly sounds like it seemed like a good option at the time. At the time. And fortunately for me, I was a mom and I was, um, I, I had the idea that not only could I not hurt my ex-husband by divorcing him, but I couldn't hurt my children by leaving in that way. And so that was what kept me from taking that impulsive action. And I think that that is the thing. It's an impulsive moment of despair. You know, you've hit on something really key. And this is why we keyed in on teen suicide prevention, because what we realized in our research and from my own experience as the mother of a suicidal teenager is that teens don't have a pause button. So in that moment of despair, when suicide seems like the best idea at the time, they're in action. You know, they, they don't have the, that 
reasons for saying pause button that we have as an adult when we have this developed prefrontal cortex. And it goes a little bit deeper than that. That is all very true. But underneath all of that was the despair, was the feeling of being a victim, was the emotions that I had no, I, no knowledge of how to manage. And as you know, from our prior conversations, I firmly believe that um, teaching children at preteen how to feel and manage their emotions will set them up to the point where they won't get into despair when they're in the teen years. And so it, I know this talk is about victim. And so we're going to get into that very soon. <laughs> not, not that anybody on this line, not that anybody listening to this has ever felt like they were a victim. You know, I'm sure that it's a very rare occurrence and that yeah. you're being totally facetious here, people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anytime, anytime that we look at someone else as doing something to us. Mm-hmm. So we're in the blame, they're doing it to me. Um, we are being in the victim role. And there's a victim, perpetrator or persecutor, rescuer triangle. And it's a very, um, a very powerful energetic triangle. When we take on any of those roles, the persecutor, the victim, or the rescuer, we are adding to the total victim consciousness energy of the planet. And that is a hard thing for people to consider. And they say, well, shouldn't I be helping? Shouldn't I go in and rescue this person who is being victimized by someone else? And the answer is, they are um, in, we all have souls. We all have very beautiful, strong, capable souls. And when we are in victim um, energy, we have forgotten who we are and we're not aligned and tapped in. I'm going to invite are. you to come and bring this down to where it's real because we've gone a little bit far for me. From, from on the bridge, driving across the bridge, seeing the concrete wall, knowing that it could all be over, I could be out of pain and taking that leap and not doing that to this, this wonderful concept of there, there, no matter what we do, we could be perpetuating victim energy, even if we're trying to help someone. Mm -hmm. What was the journey that took you from there? <laughs> from there to there? Yeah. It's a long journey. You got to, you got to yeah. some, some, some landmarks. Yeah. That was quite a, uh, I was like, wow, I've ended up in, in a totally <laughs> different world very quickly. So, <laughs> okay. Let's reel it in. Yeah. And yeah, I'll, I'll go. So 
um, basically I was holding myself in that box of that marriage where I was blaming my ex-husband for his behavior, for how he treated me. And I was not able to see that by staying, I was allowing that to happen. Oh, that's and, perspective. Yeah, it, it, it's a, that is the perspective that I came to. <laughs> um, and I probably would still be in that marriage and miserable right now today if a wildfire had not destroyed our home. Really? Yes. Yes. I needed my life turned upside down. I needed the rug pulled out from under me in order for me to truly examine. And, you know, what I say about the wildfire is when you lose everything that ever took your time, so you don't have to clean the house because there is no house. You don't have to clean the closets because they're, they're gone. Um, you don't have to go grocery shopping because the grocery stores are closed because of wildfire. You can't go to your um, book club because 10 out of 12 all lost our home. Um, everything came to a screeching halt. And all I had was the relationship. And it still took me six more months to decide to love myself enough to put myself first and choose my needs before his. Hmm. And that came because someone asked me, if marriage was forever, like eternal, would you marry your husband? And I said, heck no, I can't live this way eternally. And then I thought, well, if I can't live it eternally, why am I living it now? Ooh, well, yeah. big question. Okay, yeah. let's capture that. Because I think that that's a life-changing question for many, many circumstances, not just about marriage. If this job was eternal, if this, <laughs> you know, uh, if this meal was eternal. If yeah. this friendship was eternal, whatever it is that is triggering you. That's a big question. Yeah. So what happened next? So um, I read a book about narcissism and recognized my life mm. and something oh, in the book. I have to think about books. I have to ask, how did this book find you? Uh, my massage therapist recommended it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Which book was it? Uh, the Narcissist's Worst Nightmare. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I recognized uh, uh, every three pages, I was like, oh my gosh, that happens to me. Oh my gosh, that happens to me. And I was still in the marriage at that time. And I won't 
label my ex as a narcissist. I say he used narcissistic tools. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm a believer that labels belong on pickle jars, not on people. <laughs> I appreciate the fact. That Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, but you could, you could observe his behavior. Well, yeah, I experienced the behavior, but I, at some level, I also allowed the behavior by staying. Hmm. And so I was placing myself in that victim box hmm. and I was blaming him. But after reading that book and realizing that there's no way truly to fix someone who is who has that set of tools, um, I had to choose myself. And so I left. And it's as easy as that. And it's as difficult as that. <laughs> Because it is not easy to walk away from a 32-year marriage. It is not easy to turn the light of uh, revelation on yourself and look at your own behaviors and accept your choices brought you to where you are. So once you started to accept that you were allowing, you were staying. Actually, I think it, I think I liked the, the the moment, and I just want to go back to this. The moment that you that somebody said, "Would you, if your marriage was eternal, would you marry this person?" And you yeah. were like, uh, "Heck no!" Yeah, <laughs> it was like a no brainer answer. <laughs> There's a gut answer. I mean, I can feel the gut energy of that moment for you. Yeah. And your house burned down. How close together were those two events? Mm, I think it was about five months after the house burned down that someone asked me that question. Got it. So you had already had a chance to experience this freedom from all the normal busyness of your life. Yeah, there were... Um, that fire brought a lot of examination of what's important, what's real. Um, I remember <laughs> it was in October, the fire, and winter was coming. And I remember I walked into Macy's because I needed to buy boot, winter boots. And I looked at the hundreds of pairs of boots and I walked back out and I couldn't bring myself to buy a pair of boots. And it took me a while to realize I was looking for the boots I used to have um. and they weren't there. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a big deal. What a realization. So the grieving process took some time. It did. I actually went into a dark night of the soul for about three or four months. Um, Can't use oh. a euphemism. You cannot use a euphemism on my show. What okay. Was a dark night of the soul for you. What was that like? Um, I was in deep depression. I could not see value in anything I was doing. 
Mm. Um, I would go to work and I think I would think, why am I here? I should be building my life back up, but I'm stuck in this office doing make work. And I, I was just so unengaged with it. It didn't seem to have a value. It didn't seem important to me when my life was in turmoil and I felt like I should be paying attention to that. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I did was um, tried to find things that were meaningful and work as hard as I could on those to make my time at work more meaningful. So what kinds of things did you find meaning in first? Um, well, at the time, my job was employee safety. And so I, I ended up rewriting some employee safety manuals because I wanted to align them with current practice and, um, you know, make it safer for employees. Cool. So you found meaning inside. Yeah. Already doing. I, I think that's a really key piece for a lot of people to hear. Angela, that you didn't have to give up everything that you were doing. You could find meaning inside what you were already doing. It's so true. Yeah. That's a huge awareness. So cool. What happened next? Well, um, I left the marriage and um, All right. I hold it. What's the process? No. Wait, wait. Yeah, no, 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 no. You, you, we're talking about a relationship with someone who has narcissistic behavior. And yeah. you really sum it up into that one, I left the marriage. I, I worked up all my courage. And, and one day I left the marriage. Tell me about that day. Because oh, was this something that you did without his previous awareness and you just packed up and moved out? Was it something you discussed? Was it something you did with nation? Come on. There are so many different it was... possibilities. In that. <laughs> I left the mar- four words and there's like, wait a minute. Whoa. Um, okay. So depending on whose perspective, because ah. his story is that I never said anything and I just up and left. But but I had tried to leave three weeks earlier and I dissolved in tears on the floor because 5,000 homes had burned in our community. How was I going to find a rental? And so- Witness that. I was, I was just like had he in despair. Oh yes. And so he knew you were- And he knew, I had my suitcase, I was at the garage door. I was gonna get in the car, but then I realized, where could I go? So I didn't leave. There is no way that my leaving was a surprise to him. All right, from from an, from a camera point of view, yeah. that would be true. I'm, I'm, I know the power of the reticular activating system to screen out what we don't believe is true. Yeah, so I can see where from his, from a highly developed self-absorption state, which is what I think happens for people who have narcissistic tools, I, I, I can see where 
it never registered with him the meaning that you were actually leaving. And that is true. And, you know, he was an injured man. And, and so he, I don't want to say he, he chooses what he focuses on, but we all do. <laughs> and, some of us do it consciously. Some of us do it not quite so consciously. Non-consciously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all I can say is all the time we might as well make up kind ones about people. <laughs> I love that about you, Angela. I well, since I've left the marriage. I have come to the point where I thank him for everything he did. And that's because I now believe that every time we are triggered by somebody, by what they say, by what they do, they're holding up a mirror that reveals our own internal wounds that are reactive to that behavior. And that allows us the opportunity to focus on that energy within us and shine the light of love into that area so that we can be healed. That's a cool analogy. And I really liked it. What I got was this idea that the discomfort that we're in, regardless of what we see as the cause of it, can actually guide us. Yes. To healing. Yeah. As opposed to where we get to when we're in pain, which is anything to avoid the pain rather than embracing the pain as a guide. It, it, we have collectively a great fear of feeling pain. Hmm. And I understand that. I avoided that pain. And I avoid, you know, going back to my childhood, I was raised at the time when um, little girls are supposed to be nice and sweet and there's no such thing as anger. And little boys couldn't cry and um, we're supposed to suppress their crying. So girls were supposed to suppress their rage guys were supposed to suppress any sadness. Any time we're in resistance to any of our feelings, including rage, sadness, grief, any of those feelings that we consider difficult, the resistance, I equate it to you put on a backpack and every time you suppress, you put a heavy rock in the backpack. And then you walk around with these feelings until the backpack rips and all the rocks fall out and you explode. And then you pick up the rocks and you put them back in the backpack and you keep walking around. And it's really about, I loved the energy management practice of your last guest. Um, what I teach are emotional management practices. And it, it's on an energy level, but energy is 
brought in by our emotions and the inability to cope with our emotions is what creates despair. It's a good analogy. I love the analogy of the backpack and the emotional rocks because it is a lot. And one of the things I'm wondering if you've experienced or seen is that the, even the positive emotions now, now that we are so visible to the world, you know, we're all, or not all, but we are a lot of us on Zoom often and being more visible to the world in a world that all the news says that everybody's struggling. And so for somebody who is not struggling, now there's this thing, you know, we used to have survivor guilt. You know, I got exposed to that because I come from a military family. And of course, now in the whole suicide prevention movement, I'm very exposed to the concept of survivor guilt. But what I'm finding now is thriver guilt. People who are thriving, whose lives are working, who are having these joy-filled experiences are hiding. They're hiding. They're <laughs> become a different kind of rock in their backpack. Yes. Hiding their joy. Any, any, any feeling that we suppress is a rock in the backpack. We are here to experience everything, the good and the bad. And we all feel better when we're experiencing the good. Why would any of us choose to suppress joy when a time when this world needs more of it? You know, if joy can be contagious. And so let's all allow ourselves to experience that because we are making the world a better place simply by being enjoy ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, we know that other emotions are contagious. You know, that's one of the things that we were talking about with the energy management, what we're talking about with emotional management. You know, emotions, other people's emotions are contagious. Yes. And can you go to a, a park and hear children's laughter and not smile? It's a joyful sound. And that is part of the energy of that emotion that is touching your heart. And wouldn't it be better for all of us if that touched our heart? And so I kind of feel like it's, I don't want to say our job, but wouldn't this world be beautiful if everyone could tap into their inner joy well, and share it? And share it. Yeah. Share it is the key. Tap into your inner joy and share it. So we are taking this journey out of victimhood. And I loved the awareness that there's this triangle of victim, perpetrator, and rescuer, and that it does not matter what role we're in if we're in one of those three energies, we're perpetuating this victimhood cycle. And I would, I would love to speak on the rescuer piece because we all have a heart to help. Cool. 
And when we, so we witness someone being victim, when we wrap both sides of that, both parties in that interaction, in love, we're offering both of them the opportunity to choose love in that situation. How is that not helpful? It is, but it's not, it, you are not seeing either one as a victim or a perpetrator. Oh, okay. So this is this, what you just described is when we're not in the rescuer role. Um, because if we're in the rescuer role, we're seeing a perpetrator and a victim. Exactly. We're taking on a role. Okay. And when instead we just say, well, how can I be love in this situation? And we hold both sides in the opportunity to choose love. Then we are not taking on a role. We are simply being aligned with our own soul. Cool. All right. So, so now that's a whole new concept, being in alignment with our own soul. So I'm going to try to keep it one little piece at a time because that was another big leap. So I'm going from, from we're, we're talking about victim and perpetrator and rescuer. And the way out of being part of that dynamic is to stop seeing other people in a role. That's, that's a very good part of it, absolutely, including ourselves. And then the easy way to do that is where you were going with the spiritual side. Yeah. Okay, I, I needed a way stop in the middle. All right. And, well, and when you're the victim, that spiritual side is really hard to tap into. <laughs> and so the first step for the victim would be to recognize your your responsibility in the situation and people would say well how can a child who is being abused have responsibility it's not the responsibility of the child the child did not choose that the soul chose to experience whatever is we're, now we're getting into a whole another rabbit hole about about soul contracts Let's stick with the child for just a minute. Okay. We, many of us have had this experience either as ourselves, as the child, or with children that we know who have been in horrific situations. Mm -hmm. It's very confusing. Yes. For a child to experience that kind of pain. And, and no child should. I, you know, it breaks my heart that any child would experience that kind of pain? Because we don't have good language. And I mean, definitely it's possible to teach a child about, okay, in this situation, you were the victim, that he was the perpetrator, this was the rescue, and none of these roles are helping. That might be a conversation that a kid can have, but most likely not. You've created some other ways to get these very complicated messages into the hands and the minds and the hearts of children. Angela, how did that come about? This, this shift from learning to take care of yourself, recognizing that you don't have to be in a role, to doing what you're doing now with the fairy tales. 
Um, I started writing fairy tales well in my marriage. I was writing for my friend's six-year-old daughter, and it was just a lark. I was just, and actually that, I had a few chapters that got destroyed in the fire with everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but about a year after I left the marriage, I returned to that fairy tale and started writing it again. I did not set out to teach children anything. I set out to en- entertain them. And I realized that part of the story was reflecting some of the things that I learned in my life. And I realized that um, there's narcissistic energy vampires in the story. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, they're called wraiths. Called what? Wraith, a wraith. W-R-A-I-T-H, Wraith. Oh, thank you. I was like, what? Okay. And, and I, I didn't know that's how that word was pronounced because when I read it in a book, it's I thought it was pronounced wrath. Like, oh, like, well, wrath would be a good word for it, <laughs> for the energy there. Yeah. So talking about a, a very wispy kind of energetic being. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the story, they have a very strong power, which is to suck the life out of the fairies. And um, it is discovered by the fairy leadership that when they send love energy into the race, the mask of the wraith just disappears. And the Having been in a relationship with someone who used narcissistic tools, I sent love so many times and it didn't cause the mask to disappear. It didn't, you know, his, his internal injuries were so large that no amount of my love could fill them. Only his love could fill his own internal energies. Now that's a huge awareness. We can't fix other people. Yeah. 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 And at the same time, holding people in love is always giving them the opportunity to choose love. You know, it's an interesting thing because what I just realized from your sharing is that while you were experiencing the impact of his nar- his using narcissistic tools, you were at the same time in the role of the rescuer trying to save him. Yes. Oh, yes. Very much. Yeah. yeah so roles are, are pretty fluid things, I think, from what you're describing. In that particular um, energetic triangle, it's very fluid and easy to switch from because what would happen, he might scream at me for four hours because he felt he was not being supported. I would take it, take it, take it, take it, and then I would explode and retaliate, and then I'm the persecutor. And then I would 
later on, rethink all that happened and try and teach him a tool to manage his own energetic state. And then I was the rescuer. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Rescuing ourselves is our job. Yeah. 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 So love the fact that you have shared this whole journey with us, Angela. This is just such a compelling story that what you experience and the idea that that has become a fairy tale that not only entertains, but helps introduce some really complicated concepts in a way that young kids can get. What's the ideal age to be introducing these concepts? Well, I, I introduce this fairy tale is written for age eight to 12. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that um, in the preteen years is when we really need to reach these children so that they have these tools. I do not tell anyone what they should do. I, I plant little seeds and suggest they think about it. <laughs> so if a parent is reading a fairy tale along with their kids, mm -hmm. what, is, what is the rules of this game? What do you want a parent to never do? Uh, well, it's hard on parents because they weren't taught to, to manage their emotions. And here I am saying, we have to teach your kids how, how to feel and manage their emotions. So I wrote um, in the first six pages of the book, it's a parent's guide where I go into depth about some of the concepts so that parents can have an understanding of a, a perspective that might be helpful for their child. They can choose to ignore that perspective or they can choose to embrace it because I'm just planting that seed. Um, some parents will have a hard time with the perspectives and the interesting thing is their children won't because children, um, they're closer to their soul. And what happens is as they grow up, as we go through society, we are handed these gifts by our parents, our teachers, our preachers, um, you know, friends, whatever. These little gifts of perspectives ah. of the other person. And you were talking about this earlier about, um, you know, you were told to align to someone else's idea of what you, how you should behave, control your behavior. That is their perspective. And what the Talmud says, and I, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Christian, I'm, I'm, I find value in every religion. Um, the Talmud says, we see the world as we are, not as it is. That's true. And that's true no matter what your religious belief. You're absolutely correct. And yes, it's, a, it's very much a truth. And so when other people are telling us how we should behave, how we should be, 
if we realize that they're doing that through their own filters, through their own perspective, how they see the world, which may not be how we see the world. <laughs> and so not. I can agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's usually not. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's something that um, if a parent can learn that, that's really valuable for them, for their relationship with their child. Um, you know, in the parent's guide, I say, when we tell a kid, don't be a writer, be a lawyer, because you'll never be a success as a writer, um, we are looking at our own lenses through our perspective. The child may see opportunity or value that we don't. And so, and by saying that, we crush their dreams. You know, and, and it's, it's unintentional. It's never the intent of a parent yeah. to crush a kid's dream. Never. It, it is the perspective. And you're right. We see the world as we are. And when a parent is struggling with cash flow, they're afraid their kid will never be able to financially manage. They say things out of that belief around financial management. Mm -hmm. So the reality is, it's not easy being a parent. No, no. And I, I honor and I value and I, I value parents. My heart is for the parents and the children. And I don't, I am not pointing fingers. I am not judging. I know how hard it is to walk that fine line. And I'm sure we could bring my son on and he could tell you all the things I said wrong. <laughs> and I would own up to it, so. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's all the things that seemed like the best idea at the time. And since, for those of you who don't know, on this show, my tech support is my oldest daughter. So, she can butt in and has and, and, you know, share things. And it's like, wait a minute. The truth is that everyone does the best they can with yes. the skills that they have. And what you have done is given parents a way to introduce new skills in a very easy way through a fairy tale. So I want to make sure that that link is in the chat box for everyone. And if anyone has a question, drop it into the chat. We're going to be winding up in a few minutes, but we have time for your question. We always make time for that. And so thank you, Katie, for handling that. And so as people get a chance to, to visit your website, to look over the fairy tales, I love the fact that they can get it for free. It, they don't even opt in for it. It's just, here's the book, explore this. You know, because th it's such a necessary skill to be able to you know, not put rocks in our emotional backpack. That, that analogy is going to stay with me. It is. Well, and I, I do want to give a tool that um, is helpful when there's a feeling that is taking over your life. Um, Lay it on Sadness, us. grief, these things happen. Um, if you imagine a rose in front of you, so in your imagination, you picture a rose and you ask the rose to remove all the feelings of sadness that you're feeling. 
when you give it a 30 seconds, a minute, and then you imagine the road exploding. The rose explodes and all that energy is released out to where it belongs because it doesn't belong to you. Can the energy that we release that way negatively impact other people or other things? Um, in essence, you're returning it to where it came from. Yeah. So it was given to you as a gift from someone else and you're just returning the gift. Oh boy, there have been some gifts I would not mind returning. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> a lot of fun with this rose analogy. I like it a lot. So a magical rose that absorbs all of the emotions that are uncomfortable for me to feel. Yeah. And explodes and returns them back from whence they came. I like it. Oh, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Angela. Oh, you're welcome. It's not a uh, one-time one thing, you know, especially when it's a complex emotion that has a lot of energy behind it. You might have to do it more than once, um, but it does make you feel lighter as soon as you release some of that energy. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'm all for feeling lighter. Thank you for lightening up our day, Angela, and bringing this wonderful conversation, giving us a new perspective on victimhood and the possible pathways out of it. Such a lovely conversation. Thank you, Jackie. I just thank you for reeling me back in because I can get very spiritual sometimes and I forget that not everybody has the same understandings that I've gained. And so it's, it's really good that you did that and, and helped me to speak in a way that other people could really grasp and understand. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome very, very much. Thank you for all that you're doing and for the work that's on your website with the fairy tales and the options that are there for people to connect with you. Because I know you do more than just write fairy tales for kids. So <laughs> anyone who wants more information can explore it with you on your website. And that's simply your name, AngelaLee.com. So thank you, Angela. And... I'm not sure what the right thing to say is to wrap this one up, which is unusual for me to be tongue-tied. So we're going to put it to you this way. No matter what role you find yourself in today, send love to everybody and walk away. What's that? I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.